Thank you, brother. Thanks, Atlas. All right. Good morning, everyone. Are y'all glad to be here? Amen. Well, we're going to have fun this morning. We are finishing up our series that we started called Miracles. We've been going through this series, marching through the Gospel of John, looking at the seven sign miracles of Jesus. Now, why have we been doing this? So that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah of God. That he is the Christ, the risen Lord, the Lord of all creation, and that he loves you. We believe that God works miracles today by the power of the Holy Spirit to bless people and advance Jesus' kingdom. This year we are believing God for miracles that will testify to his power and create new opportunities for gospel advancement in our city, on our campus, and in the nations of the, of the earth. And so this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 11. It's maybe one of the most extraordinary of Jesus' parables. And I'm just jumping in this morning. You all right? Let's go. Look out now. Now, we're... I'm not going to read this entire chapter because the chapter is the story. Um, and so I'm just going to tell the story. We're going to go back and hit specific verses. But essentially, Jesus is in Bethany, not in Bethany, but he gets word that his friends, Lazarus, who is um, the, the brother of Mary and Martha, and they are good friends of Jesus. It's, very, it's made very clear from the beginning that Jesus has a tight relationship with them and that he likes them a lot. And it says that Lazarus is sick. And it, it says something curious here. It says, Jesus, loving them because he loved them, he waited two more days to go to see them. Which is kind of curious. He has this conversation with the, with the disciples. Hey, we're going to go to Judea now. And they're like, they're trying to kill us there. Are you sure you want to do this? And he, he gives this kind of inquisitive, there's 12 hours during the day and tells this kind of teaching about day and night. He says, we're going to go. And then he says, you know, Lazarus is asleep. And they're like, well, if he's asleep, he'll wake up. Well, I'm talking about him being dead. So he's just doing all this kind of cryptic talking and teaching. And finally he says, all right, we're going to go. And he's very clear. He says, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go. And now one of the disciples, Thomas, uh, the twin, says, let's all go. We're going to die together, right? The reason they left Judea was because they were going to stone Jesus. So Jesus left. It wasn't his time. And now he's going back. And now they're kind of scared, but they're going to go anyway. And then Jesus shows up near Bethany and and Martha comes out to him and she says, Lord, if you'd have been here, right, where were you? And Jesus says, look, your brother will rise again. And they have this theological conversation about Jesus raising on the end of the last day, the resurrection of Jesus. But Jesus makes this statement. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall live, shall never die. Do you believe this? And, and Martha says, yes, you are the Christ, the one sent from God. And then Jesus sends and says, hey, go get Mary. So Mary, she's probably a little bit more upset. She had a more intimate 
friendship with Jesus. So she comes, finally. And what is the first thing she says? Jesus, if you'd have been here, he would have lived. So she kind of calls him out, and Jesus says, he's moved. And this paragraph in this chapter is all kinds of emotion coming out of Jesus. He says that he's troubled. Some translations, you could even say he's angry. Um, He is weeping at one point in this paragraph. He weeps. If those who grew up in a Christian home and were required to memorize Scripture, y'all know this Scripture? Jesus wept. That was it. It's the shortest one. Jesus wept. He's weeping here. He's moved along. Then those who kind of watch this going on say, man, if Jesus would have been here, he he healed the blind. Couldn't he have healed this guy before he died? And Jesus says, "Take take me to the tomb. And they take him to the tomb, and um, Martha's like, man, we can't open this. It's been four days, which kind of lets you know, no matter when Jesus would have left, he would have been dead. You realize that? Jesus, Lazarus would have been dead anyway, but Jesus waited longer. There's some, some uh, guesswork about why that was. Many believed in that time that, that the spirit of a man would, or a woman would hover around a dead body for three days before it departed. So Jesus would just want to make sure he was good and dead. Right? No, he's good and dead. Four days in. So he has this uh, conversation with Martha. He prays to the Lord, Hey, Father, I know you hear me, but I'm saying this out loud so these folks can understand who I am and believe. And then he calls the infamous Lazarus come out. Lazarus comes out. The man who had died came out and his hands and feet were bound with linen straps and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Some of them were snitches, right? They ran off and tattletailed. What are we going to say this morning? We're going to talk about the confusion, the criticism, the crucible, the confession, and the collaboration. Don't worry, we're going to go fast. First, the confusion. When I read this story over and over again, confusion is wrapped in this story. Why did Jesus wait? Even when he starts explaining what he's doing, no one understands. Oh, he's asleep. Who's asleep? Do you believe? I believe you're the resurrection of the life. Roll that stone away. He's dead. I'm I'm confused, right? And there's confusion. And this is what I've learned walking with Jesus is that I don't understand everything. To walk with Jesus is to be confused. If you're not confused when you walk with Jesus, then you've probably created a God in your own image that answers everything the way you want him to. He's confused. They're confused. I'm confused when I'm reading this. What are you talking about? There's parts of this story. I'm like, what did he mean exactly? Day and night and 12 hours? I don't know what he's talking about. And yet, in this moment, there's confusion. And if you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, you've been there too. And I was going to let Michelle, my wife, I'll give her a hand. She's going to come up and, and share. 
about a time she was confused. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, I forgot one thing in case I need it. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so like asked me to share on um, an experience that I had, uh, we had early on in our marriage. Um, so back in 2009, um, I was pregnant with our second child, and I ended up miscarrying at 10 weeks. Um, so at the time, our oldest was about 14 months. Um, everybody, ha you know, people that have miscarried, it's very um, individual experiences. Um, mine was pretty awful. Um, I was taken by ambulance to the hospital, um, rushed to surgery where they um, were able to stabilize me, and then I got two blood transfusions. Um, essentially, they saved my life. Um, so right after that, a few days later, um, we took our son to the doctor. Um, we knew something was up with his eye. Um, anyway, they let us know that he was going to need eye surgery. And I was like, it just felt like another blow. Then a couple days later, um, it was after an ECU um, football game. Blake and Isaac were um, in our vehicle, and they were rear-ended by a drunk driver um, after the game. And it totaled our car. It was like a four-car pileup. And it was just one of those times where, I mean, I'm sure some of you have experienced this, where it's like one thing after another, and you're like, God, I'm hanging on by a thread here, you know, like, can I get some relief in here? Um, and so anyway, that, um, that ensued months of anxiety for me. Um, this was before I feel like mental health was a little more known in the church and stuff. Um, I was suffering panic attacks, which I didn't know were panic attacks at the time. I wish I'd known. Um, <laughs> that would have helped me a lot. Um, but anyway, I just couldn't breathe. I was breaking out in hives. Like, it was... It was awful. I mean, it lasted months to about a year. Um, and so that really rocked my relationship with the Lord. Um, it was one of those things where the Lord was the cornerstone of my life. Like, I, he was still Lord, but then on the other hand, I had all these other feelings. What Blake was talking about, like, I had a lot of confusion. I had um, a lot of broken trust. I have uh, a lot of doubt. Like, God, how could this happen? I don't understand. Like, we were in campus ministry at the time. I felt like, God, like... We're giving our lives to you. Like, how can this be happening? It was that age-old, like, why do bad things happen to good people thing, you know? <clears throat> and I was coming face-to-face -face with it, and I'd never had to before, you know, because things had gone pretty smoothly up to that point. So I had no theology for what suffering and hardship look like in following Christ. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, I ended up... Um, really struggling with those feelings, you know, anger, sadness, all of that, um, while also, on the other hand, knowing, okay, he's my Lord. I'm, he, what's he going to do through this? I don't know. Um, so I felt like I needed an anchor verse, so I asked the Lord, and he gave me Romans eight twenty eight. you know, he works all things together for good for those that love him and they're called according to his purpose. At the time, like, I couldn't see it. It didn't feel good, you know what I mean? Like, there's no good in this situation right now to me. Um, but I just clung to that, like, God, you're going to use this for good. I know you didn't cause this, but <clears throat> I need you in this. Um, and so anyway, he reworked that foundation with me. There were things that, um, you know, those ungodly beliefs about his character and who he was and stuff like that, like, those weren't going to be beneficial for me to carry into my life and in my walk with him. Um, so anyway, he really redid some things in that season. Um, and even just going back to if you have to, like the miracle of salvation, you know, like he snatched me from some really cruddy stuff and I was on a really big path to destruction before I met him. And so sometimes you just have to go back to what has God done for me, you know? Um, anyway, and then I'll just leave you with um, 
the song that really spoke to me during that time and ministered to me was, um, I don't know if y'all have heard of Brian and Katie Torwalt, um, but they had this album here on earth, and it was a song called Breathe You In. And um, it talks about the presence of God and how he's good. And so I would just proclaim, like, the goodness of God, and I would cry as I listened to the song. And then at the end of the song, it says, um, was, I'm trying to remember, like, when I don't understand. Yes, thank you. Up here I get like, <laughs> in front of all you guys. Um, there's this verse that says, when I don't understand, I will choose you. When I don't understand, I will choose to love you, Lord. And so I would just proclaim that over and over because sometimes when you're in those dark places, you have to choose. You choose to love him. And he really brought me through that season of hardship. Here's the thing. God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. He, he sits outside of time. He sees the end from the beginning. He's going to do things in your life that you don't understand. I don't know why. He waited two days. I'm sure Mary and Martha didn't know. Didn't you love me? Because I loved you, I'm going to wait. There's something to that. And here, here he is. These disciples, these disciples are getting ready to walk into Jerusalem, right, and face death, or at least the fear of death. Do you think that's the last time they do that? No, he's training them in the process. Part of what Lazarus and Mary and Martha are going through is training ground for the disciples. They can't know that in that moment. He's bringing them in. Do y'all remember in John chapter 6 when Jesus said this? He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part for me. And his disciples said, this is hard. Do you think there was an easier and better way to say that so that they would understand? Emphatically, yes. It was not a, a, Jesus didn't, he messed up the communication on that one. They were confused. No, he confused them on purpose. Why? Will you trust me even when you don't understand? And here it is again. You don't, you don't understand why I have to die on a cross. But will you trust me? in the process. And we see this moment. What about us this morning? How will we respond when we're confused about what Jesus is doing? Will we follow him anyway? Will, will we be offended and let that offense keep us from Jesus? What I love about that is Mary is not happy with Jesus sitting at home, making him come all the way there, you know? She's upset. And she, but Jesus comes to her and calls her out. Come, talk to me about this. It's beautiful. Not only is there confusion here, but there's criticism. People are not going to understand. Jesus is stepping into an awkward situation. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd have been here. Mary said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd have been here. Jesus, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? Surely he could have healed him if he was only here. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come to, to Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him, but some went away and criticized. What is going on here? There is criticism that's going to happen when Jesus pushes forward his kingdom. Are you ready for it? Part of following Jesus is facing criticism. 
It would have been easy for Jesus to stand at a distance and heal Lazarus. But he went right into the situation, facing the, criti the criticism. His disciples criticized, should he go? Mary criticized, should have been here quicker. The, those who watched said, why weren't you here? There's, we live in a culture of criticism. We have entire industries that exist, billion dollars to criticize everything. I mean, I love sports. I love the NFL. Now I'm going to, six months of depression, right, until the next game. But there's an entire industry. There's one day of games, essentially. Now we pepper some other games around, but there's one day of games. And we get six days of criticism. Why did they throw that? Why did the coach do that? Why didn't he do that? Those referees are the worst. An entire industry around criticism. It's in the waters, guys. Y'all realize that, that someone created this, this series um, called The Chosen, right? Y'all seen that? We got the church sitting around criticizing that. I mean, have you ever created anything? Right? No, but we're going to sit at home behind our TV screen. I can't believe Jesus said that. Well, what do you want him to say? I mean, we're going to criticize. We're, the Asbury Revival, we just had some staff go down there and, and be a part of that this weekend. And they're coming back and they're saying, man, there's a sweet presence of Jesus. We're getting online. I don't think everything there was of the Lord. Jesus is showing up. College students are crying out to God and we're going to criticize it. Why? Because it's in the culture. And before you know it, we're criticizing everything. And you think you're exempt. Be careful. Be careful. Jesus said, you'll sow what you reap. With the measure you judge. I wonder, I wonder if some of the anxiety and stress on us is simply reaping the criticism of others. Think about the weight of the criticism you feel. Maybe some of the seeds we've planted out there, criticizing them is now coming back on us. Let's be careful. I want to talk to our youth this morning. Man, do, do, does the environment we cultivate set our friends up to be risk takers and to step out and to believe God for big things and do big things? Or does the environment we create make everyone scared to do anything? Well, why is that important? Because God has called your brothers and sisters in Christ to do great things. Man, I hope every child in this church does amazing things for God. But you know what? It's going to be hard. They're going to have to fight the inner voices. They're going to have to fight the criticism of the world. Will they receive the criticism from the church while they're here? Or will we get behind? Go, champ! Do it! Make a mistake! Or we can say, I knew they shouldn't do that. Made a mistake. Who has it? Will we be... I love that quote from uh, Theodore Roosevelt, right? Roosevelt. He says... Um, those cold and timid souls who've known no victory nor defeat. They're not in the arena, but they're sitting in the crowd criticizing those who are. Here Jesus is. We did a renovation a couple years ago now, and um, I got to 
save some money by doing a lot of the teardown? Anybody ever done any teardown? It's hard work, but it's not skilled work. Anybody can do it. I did it. Now, when I needed something built, I had to pay someone. But to tear it down, I can do that, baby. Well, I mean, I got insulation everywhere, sheetrock everywhere. Everything's destroyed. What's my point? Anybody can tear stuff down. But what can you build? If we're not careful, we're going to tear down the very thing that God wants to build, right? Now that some things need to be torn down. Jesus tears stuff down. Remember, he walked into the, the, the temple and cleared it out, tore all that down. So there are systems and things that need to be torn down. But we might be careful not to swing the pendulum and tear down everything. When Jesus is saying, this needs to go down, but this needs to go up. We can tear down toxic masculinity, and we should. We need to be careful that we don't tear down biblical masculinity in the process. What it means to be a man. Now, yes, we need to tear down toxic masculinity. Yes, we need to tear down racial injustice. Tear it down. But not in the process destroying everything around us. Amen? Wise master builders. And Jesus is walking in to a critical zone, taking the blunt of that criticism, tearing down bad thinking. I am the resurrection and the life. What are we going to build? I love this quote from Paul. We love to criticize, right? Here's Paul's quote. I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out, not the talk of those arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Anybody can criticize, show me your power. Show me what you're building. That's what Paul is saying. Deconstruction is not the work. Building is the work. What are you building? Do you live under the scrutiny or the fear of the scrutiny of others? It's a trap. It's an insatiable desire that will not be fulfilled. It's slavery in its own right. If Jesus was worried about what others think, he would never have showed up. Next, we see the crucible. The crucible. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, could be even angry. And they said, where, and then he said, where have you laid them? Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Down to verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Here's what's beautiful about Jesus. Jesus doesn't, he's not this passionless force we manipulate. He's a person who steps into our world. Every gamut of emotion in this paragraph Jesus felt. What emotion are you feeling this morning? Is it confusion? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Is it depression? Is it, is it sadness? Jesus is weeping. Jesus feels where you are. He doesn't just know it, he's felt it. He knows what death feels like. He knows what loss feels like. He knows what betrayal feels like. He knows what offense, he knows what it's like when your best friends won't even say they know you. He's felt it. He's, he's a crucible for silver, a furnace for gold, and the Lord tests the heart. See, there's something about the fire that melts the gold so it's formed into something useful. There's something God wants to do in your life in this season of pain and trial that cannot be done outside of the fire of it. There's something God does in winter that can't be done during harvest. There's something God does when there's nothing on the trees and there's no, the cupboards are bare. And then when things are plentiful, we don't cry out quite the same. We don't reorient quite the same. We don't, we're not as hungry as we were. James says it this way, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. There's something God does when the heat turns up and trials are there that cannot be done otherwise. It produces something in you. It's the crucible. Jesus will get in the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, with you. He'll feel the flames for you. But you're going to go through it because it's doing something in you. Something Jesus did in this trial, even that Michelle talked about, did something in our home, did something in our marriage, did something in our family, gave us faith that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Jesus hasn't asked us to do anything that he wouldn't walk through first. As we saw in those commercials during, during the uh, Super Bowl, Jesus was a refugee. Jesus lost his father. Jesus' friends left him. Jesus lived on the weight of bad reputation and prejudice because of who he was. Jesus walks through the crucible with us. Next, we see the confession. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I just want to march through here for a couple verses in this chapter. Listen to this. Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? I knew that you were always with me, Father. But I said this on account of the people standing around here, that they may believe that you sent me. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary, who had been with him, did believe in him. Verse 48, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. 
Why is Jesus doing these things? So that you'll believe. Unbelief and sin are Siamese twins. If you stay in your unbelief, it's only a matter of time. You'll throw off your fetters and you'll dive into a new slavery. Jesus is doing these miracles so that you'll believe he is who he says he is. Jesus is raising the dead so that you'll believe he is the son of God. He's raising the dead so that you'll believe that this life is not the end. You will face him for all of eternity and be his intimate friend or you'll run with all your might. We can endure things we never thought we could and be better for them if we'll believe. There's a resilience that accompanies those who believe that Jesus will make all things right in the end, that he is justice. We can believe for bigger and more significant things than what we can see and think possible if we'll believe. See, the whole purpose of this moment for Jesus is to open these disciples and these people's eyes that he is the Christ and that this life is not it. Will you believe this morning? Finally, the collaboration. Jesus raises the dead. Look, I want you to look at three things Jesus says here. Where have you laid him? I think Jesus could have figured that out, right? Not too many tombs in Bethany. Where have you laid him? Why is he asking that? He's wanting you to participate in him, with him in this healing. How is Jesus asking us to bring him into dead situations? Where have you laid him? What's dead in your life? What's dead in your marriage? What's dead at your workplace? What's dead on your campus? What's dead in this city? What's dead in the nations of the earth? Where have you laid him? Bring me to him. He's asking us to participate. You have plotted your escape. You have readied your ship. And Jesus is saying, let's go back in. Let's go back in. Where have you laid him? Work environment is toxic and negative. Is it dead? Bring him in. Your marriage is dying. Bring him in. Your relationship with your parents is dead. Bring him in. You have extended family, maybe siblings, maybe a child running from God. Bring him in. Where have you laid him? Invite Jesus back in again. Invite him back in again. Invite him back in again. Knock and keep knocking. Ask and keep asking. Where have you laid him? What's dead in your life this morning? Take away the stone. Jesus commands them to do something hard that requires faith. If Jesus can raise the dead, surely he can move some stones. In fact, when he rose from the dead, the stone was already moved. So we know he can move stones. Why is he asking them? Because Jesus will ask us to do hard things that you cannot do on your own that require faith. It takes a community. 
In fact, it takes a one person cannot move the stone. We are getting ready to enter into raising money to upfit this building. I, I went and looked at my bank account. I don't have it. It's going to take about $1.5 to $2 million to upfit this building. Okay? But here's my faith in that. It's going to take all of us. And it's going to require us to believe. Michelle and I'm already talking. Jesus, we're going to have to do something personally. I can't ask everyone in this church to put their hand to the stone that my hands are not on. So I don't know. We're going to have to do something. Now, why? Why are we going to? Well, because we're investing for the next generation. And it's falling apart. There's two reasons you renovate. You look around your house like, we should do something in here. And then you walk around and if we don't do something, it ain't going to house us very long. But here's my faith that in raising the money, and I've talked to, to pastors and, and, and sought counsel on this, that the level of our faith as a church would rise. That as we sow seed and we see God move, that we'll believe for greater things. This is not about a building. If it becomes about a building, then we need to shut the doors. It's about reaching a city for Jesus. But if we can't build, if we can't believe God to take a dilapidated building and upfit it for the glory of God, how is God going to use us to upfit a city for the glory of God? To go into systems that need to be changed by faith. It's not going to take your intellect. You think that's all we need? We need God to move. My faith is that as we believe together to do this small thing, this is a small thing, that then we would believe God to do bigger things. All of us participating. I guarantee you, every person that laid their hands on that stone and moved it over and then watched Lazarus come out thought, I was there. I participated. Small as it was, but God did something in our midst, and I was a part of it. It's a hard thing. But we're ready. Unbind him and let him go. I love this. This is probably one of my favorite parts. Jesus raises his brother from the dead. He's like, he's bound up. I did a miracle, now you let him go. This is what's beautiful about Jesus is that we get to participate in helping others walk in freedom. We get to participate in others walk in freedom. He enlists a community to care for Lazarus by unwrapping in him, now listen to this, unwrapping him and by sheer understanding of what's going on, clothing him. They took off his old clothes. Brother's naked. Now we've got to put some on. And so there's this vulnerability required for freedom. We can't keep all of our mess so that nobody knows and think we're going to walk in freedom. I'm going to tell you right now, you hide your stuff for long enough, that stuff will become your reality. Why, how did I get here? It's got to come to the light. 
That's why we're so passionate about Victory Weekend and weekends like it. Because we realize we came to Jesus and he revolutionized our heart. He brought us from death to life. But we're bound up. We're bound up. And we need others to help us escape and walk free. It requires that. We talked about it last week. The blind man had to be led to the water. And this alive man had to be taking his nasty dead garments off and putting new garments on. Unbind him. There's a process. I wish it was simple. I wish it was just you come down here, I slap a hand, you fall down, an altar person picks you up, and you leave, and you're never the same. And that's partly true. I've come to this altar and left different. And I've also had to walk years out my freedom in Jesus. It requires some counseling, some pastoral counseling, some deep prayer, some theological uh, research, some crying out to God, turning the game off and the movie off and sitting and crying out to God. It took all of that. We want it now. Unbind him and bring him to me. Men, can I pick on y'all this morning? We did a Victory Weekend last semester. We did it. We did it. We did a, a class um, on Wednesday night. Thirteen women showed up. Praise God! They walked in victory, and the fire lit in them, and they're moving, baby. Now I'm just—I assume it was the time, so I'm changing the time. We're going to do a Sunday afternoons, right after church. We'll feed you and everything. Now, why do I bring that up? It's not football season. It's over. That excuse is gone. No, it's, it's not just about that. The point is, I know because I look in the mirror that the women are not the only ones bound up. I really know that because I know me. And that men, that we're going to have to be vulnerable and honest or it'll get bad enough we'll have to. Now, your choice. Unbind him and let him go. I think Dr. Caroline Leaf, after, um, she's, I think she's a Christian neuroscientist. She basically said, thank you for the heart-shaped necklace. I'd rather you get therapy. Why? Because we, and I'm just talking to fathers here, are creating environments in our homes. You don't think your junk is affecting your family? Husbands, you don't think your junk is affecting your wife? Men who are single for the glory of God, you don't think your stuff is affecting your work? Now, why? Why is this so important? Why are we so emphasized this in this church? Here's why. We can't help others get free if we're not walking in freedom. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. I'm still walking out my freedom. But because I'm walking, I can say, hey, look out. There's a step there. Keep moving, right? Oh, I tripped here. Don't trip here. 
Right? We can't help others go where we have not gone. And though there are experts everywhere, and I send people experts all the time, some basic stuff we should be able to help folks with. Amen? I'm sorry I did that to you, men. But not really. Not really. Because this is what I'm excited about. When we walk in freedom, things change. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you're good, that you're the God who raises the dead. Jesus, you said you are the resurrection and the life. You are the resurrection and the life. You take dead things and you make them alive. Lord, I pray for this next generation. I pray for the young people in our midst. Everybody said the ship's going down with this next generation. And Lord, I know that you raise the dead. Lord, you take broken things and you make them alive. You take dead things and you make them alive. You heal broken hearts. Lord, you set fires that no man can put out. Lord, we pray for this next generation that they will burn for the glory of God. Lord, they will cry out to you. They will be so sick of their sin and the trifling that they will cry out for God to move in their neighborhoods, in their schools. Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for marriages that are hurting, that you break them free. Lord, I pray for toxic work environments, Lord, that you would be, that we would be as the church, the light of the world and the salt of the earth, God. Lord, I pray that we would be the resurrected community that you've called us to be. We are alive because you made us alive. Not perfect, bound up, and ready to be used. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, you would help us walk in freedom like we've never walked before. Lord, I pray, young and old, every ethnicity in this room, every gender in this room, that we would walk in freedom in Christ. Lord, prepare your way this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning as we close. Stand to our feet. Thank you for being with us. I I know I was a little intense this morning. I don't apologize. God wants to do something in your life. Amen. He's not satisfied with where you are. He hasn't left you. You might be in a crucible this morning. He's with you in the fire. Amen. Let's believe God. Let's believe God for little things and big things. Amen? Amen. If you need prayer this morning, our altar workers will be up here. We'd love to pray with you. You guys have an amazing week. We'll see you next week.